On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we want to talk about excuses, something we're all pretty good at doing, but it's a, it's a failed attempt to try and justify ourselves. We want to talk about some of the very common kinds of excuses that we, even Christians, use uh, to try and justify our actions. We're going to study about that and show that our excuses just don't work with God. Stay tuned, and we'll be studying excuses on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, April the 7th. 2022. Thanks for being with us online as we gather together to talk about important matters from the Word of God. My name is Greg Gwynn. Joining me tonight is Josh McCord. Josh, welcome. Greg, thanks Thanks for having me. Good to be here. We look forward to what you have to say. We think that you are probably a pretty good excuse maker, uh, <laughs> as we all are. I've, I've, I've had my moments. <laughs> and so we're, we're talking from experience here tonight. We're not. This is not hypothetical. Uh, we, know, we know how this goes. We've done this. Uh, but I think almost all Christians have. And, and, we, and we just need to be reminded that these are really, when you really boil it down, Josh, these are pretty lame they things. Are, you they know, are. they just, they're just pretty yeah, they're shallow. They're not good excuses. They don't work. Joining us to work the board tonight is uh, Kyle Barnes. Kyle, thanks for being here yeah, tonight. It's good to be here, as always. All right, so we sent out to, uh, a list of excuses to our update list earlier today. We're not going to read them all. I think there's about 11 of them uh, that we picked out as very common excuses, uh, and, and we're just going to work our way down through these and show just uh, how inadequate our excuses are in an effort to try and justify ourselves when we are not doing what God says that we should do. I want to give a uh, credit to a regular listener, Stephen, uh, who sent in this idea that we should maybe talk about excuses. So thanks, Steve, for uh, giving us this idea uh, by way of an email submission. We want to start out with one that is just really common, and that's the excuse that Everybody is doing this. And that's that's a really pretty common one, Josh. You know, well, I might be doing this, but it's just something that everybody does. And, yeah. and so it's, it must be okay since everybody's doing it. Yeah, that's been the example for a long time, I think, for like teenagers and young people. Well, everybody else is getting to do this or going there or doing this or doing that. So why can't I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember my dad when I was a kid. uh that was almost the worst thing I could possibly say. If I was trying to get permission to do something, if I said, if I ever was forgot and said, well, everybody's going or everybody's doing this, he'd say, well, that's probably another good reason why you shouldn't go if everybody's doing it. Yeah. And he was right about right. that. I, I can see that now. It's a little harder to see in the, in that day. But you know, this is actually not a new enterprise. The very first person to make this excuse was Adam in the Garden of Eden. You know, uh, so when when God came and questioned Adam in Genesis chapter three, what he what he did is tried to put it off on. Well, 
it wasn't just me. Everybody, in that case, it literally right. was everybody yeah, else. Yeah, was <laughs> it was just him and Eve. And, and his response to God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 12 was, the man said, the woman that thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. So, you know, it's not really my fault. Yeah. And besides that, you know, she did it too. We're all doing this. So he tried to make that excuse. Uh, Aaron, when, when Moses came down from the mountain and Aaron had actually been the the instrumental agent in making the golden calf in Exodus thirty two twenty two Aaron said let not the anger of my Lord wax hot thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief so you know everybody's doing this I just I just had to go along because everybody wanted it this way and then I was thinking of one more when King Saul was charged with utterly destroying the Amalekites but he didn't they brought back spoil and they brought back the king uh and when samuel went out to confront him saul said in first samuel fifteen fifteen, they they the people yeah. they have brought them from the amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen and so it wasn't just me it was really everybody everybody was right. everybody's doing this was basically the argument it's not new yeah uh, and and of course we know in those episodes uh, uh that it didn't work uh, th- th- those people were not justified in trying to point out that they, they, other people were doing the same thing they were doing. It didn't work then. It doesn't work now. Uh, you know, one of the things that we need to point out is that that's, it's not true. It's actually, not only is it an excuse, but it's a false statement because not everybody is doing it. Uh, name the sin, whatever the sin is, you know. So if it's sexual immorality, well, there's a lot of people committing sexual immorality in our world, but not everybody is. You know, there's still people who live in righteous lives in that regard and in other ways. So, you know, we're actually making a false claim when we say everybody's doing it. Yeah, well, we're picking out people that are doing what we're tempted or we want to do or whatever, and we're, and we're making them the rule. Well, everybody's everybody's doing that, so maybe it's okay for me to do that. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Not, not a good excuse. You know, in the one instance that I can think of in the Bible where it was almost true that everybody was doing it, it was the case of Noah mm-hmm. in Genesis chapter 6. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah could have really used the argument, everybody's doing it. Right. He didn't. And, of course, he was he was stood justified yeah, he didn't make God, it right. before God. He didn't use that excuse. He he continued to do the right thing. Yeah. And and uh, you know we, we could point out and again we're, we're pointing out that this is an old old problem. It, it never works to try and justify ourselves in that way. Exodus twenty three two: Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, even if the whole multitude is doing evil. Thou shalt not right. follow the multitude to do evil. Right. Josh, I got you watching the uh, email inbox over there, and also our chat room window. If you see anything there, uh, point it out. Yeah, we got we got one. Uh, Dwight Michelle said to excuse is to seek to defend or justify, uh, which is right. You're you're trying to defend a wrong position, or you're trying to justify an incorrect stance, and that's that's the whole basis behind. That's it. the very excuse definition making. of it. Yeah, right. Exactly right. 
Kent, uh, in response to this, everybody's doing it excuse, he says the term everybody is a universal term, which would mean that one would be required to know all people and everything that all people are doing. <laughs> Such is impossible. However, a great many individuals may be involved in a particular activity. That does not make any action acceptable with God because just because many individuals are engaged in it. The New Testament identifies the way of the majority, and it is not the way of truth. Matthew seven thirteen and 14, uh, 21 through 23. I think that's exactly right. A couple of our other emailers mentioned that same text. Uh, Jim in Kentucky says, The majority does not determine what's true. Only God's word can do that. Only his word is true. Besides, the way of the majority is wrong. Matthew seven thirteen, uh, John seventeen seventeen. Grant in Franklin, Tennessee, points out Matthew 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, you're, you know what you're really admitting, according to what these, these emailers are pointing out there, Matthew seven thirteen, the broad way. Everybody's doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, where, what's, where's that leading to then? Right. Because the majority is on the Broadway that leads to destruction. Uh, Dwight, in his email to us, uh, mentions that same text. The wide gate and the broad is, wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many, uh, there are who go in by it. Just because everyone is doing something does not make it right. So, I think pretty obviously, uh, that, that excuse falls really flat. Uh, it, it doesn't work. We still try to use it, but it clearly doesn't work. Any thoughts, Josh? Yeah, I put down James 4.17. It says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, so if I know to do something that is right and I fail to do it, then I am sinning, or, or vice versa. If I know to do something and I, or if I do something I've been told not to do, it's sin. But So it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It yeah. was my thought process. I've got to do so what's it, right. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. If you know what's right, then I need to do that, it. That's what you've got to do. Kyle, thoughts? No, that's exactly it. No. All right. Let's, let's, we're going to have to move rather quickly tonight to get through all of these. Let's go to the next one. How often do you hear people say, I just don't see anything wrong with it? That's, that's a pretty common you know, argument yeah. that people make. Yeah. Which is scary because that's a person, you know, determining what's right and wrong for themselves. And the Bible talks a lot about not doing that. Uh, you know, the proverb writer talked about that. There's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, we're we're not supposed to be coming up with what is right, and and because that could get myself into trouble. And so this whole idea is, you know, personally, I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. On what basis? I mean, well, and and that very statement suggests that you're setting yourself up yeah. as the standard. Right. You're the determiner of yeah. right or wrong. Well, what if you don't see anything wrong with it? But I do. Yeah. So, you know, who gets to say? Right. The only answer to that dilemma is God gets to say. Yeah. Jeremiah ten twenty three says, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. We can't direct our own steps. We're dependent upon God. And we need him to set the, the boundaries, the limitations for us. So it's not a matter of, of what we feel or what we think is right or wrong. Uh, Kent uh, in Georgia says, this, this, this idea that I don't see anything wrong with, this is subjective reasoning. A great many individuals do not see anything wrong with sinful activity, but that does not change that which is wrong into that which is right. 
Before something can be right, it must be authorized by God's truth, John 8, 32 and 17, 17. The word of God does not authorize a concept or a doctrine that is indeed wrong, such as indeed wrong. Saul of Tarsus persecuted Christians. He didn't see anything wrong with such actions. However, in doing so, he was guilty of persecuting Christ, Acts 9, 1 through 4. Uh, Jim in Kentucky, I don't see anything wrong with it. Man or an individual does not determine what is true, Jeremiah ten twenty three. Grant says Proverbs fourteen twelve, which you mentioned, Josh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Uh Dwight says Paul didn't see anything wrong with putting Christians in prison and and putting them to death. He had a clear conscience, but it did not make it right, Acts twenty three, verse one. I think we're all on the same page there. Isn't it interesting that, you know, when you really stop to logically analyze an excuse like that, you realize that it just doesn't work at all. But still, men so frequently want to use yeah. those very excuses. Yeah. yeah. Well, if I don't see something uh, wrong with something that God said is wrong, the problem's not with God. The problem's with me. Uh, and so we need to get make sure, like you said earlier, we need to make sure we're looking at the right standard. You know, when you st- if you stop and think about, it, you know, you, you you know that that so with your boss on the job. You know, and so you're not doing, you're, you're not meeting your requirements on the job. And you try to put this off in your boss. Well, I, I don't see anything wrong with what I'm doing. How, how you think that will fly with your boss? Well, he's going to say, I don't care what you think. Yeah. I'm the boss. You'll do it the way I say, or else you won't yeah. be working here. Right. It doesn't matter what you think. And and so your boss wouldn't put up with that. Why would we think that God would put up with that? Yeah. Well, you know, at work, where I work, I mean, there's going to be a rule book, you know, and, and so well, let's go look at the rules, and we've got rules to determine what we're supposed to do, company policies. It's, yeah. You know, so so the Bible is our is our rule book for life in order to be right with God. Yeah, exactly right. All right, we just got two. We, I think we've got 11 excuses we want to try to cover tonight. All of this is pretty... Pretty standard fare, Josh, but we really need to be reminded of the foolishness of trying to justify ourselves in these ways. And so we're going to continue. When we get back, we want to talk about something that we hear a lot. Someone says, well, nobody's perfect. And we'll talk about that when we get back. Stick with us. We'll be right back on the Virtual Bible Study. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Here's a quick thought. Cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 55, verse 22. To live righteously means to live right in the sight of God. God promises that person will not be moved. The Lord will sustain you. Trust Him and cast every burden on Him. Because he cares for you. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. Trouble is usually produced by those who don't produce anything else. An honest man alters his opinions to fit the truth, while a dishonest man alters the truth to fit his opinions. God gave everyone patience. Wise people use it. Extreme times demand deep faith. The Bible does not need to be rewritten, but reread. Man, wish I'd said that. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. 
And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about excuses, very common excuses. I think that probably the majority of us uh, working here in the room tonight, plus the, probably the majority of people who are listening, have used one or more of these excuses probably multiple times. Because I think it is just a trait, Josh, that when when I'm confronted with something that I'm doing that's not right, my first inclination is to try and make an excuse for it. Yeah, I was thinking about Moses. You know, he he tried to make excuses and he was told uh, to go to Egypt and talk to Pharaoh. You know, I, I just think it's maybe in human nature we try, as you said. I, I do think excuses. that's true. But you know, what? if we as we mature spiritually, I think we should get to the point of realizing it's actually much easier. And 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 it's and it's a much better outcome. Always just just simply acknowledge, like King David did when he was right. confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan said, "Thou art the man," and David didn't try to excuse him. He, I think he could have. I think he could have offered a number of sure. excuses that men would have typically offered in that circumstance. He just said, "I have sinned," and and it, you know our our life is so much easier. When we're confronted with our sins, to just acknowledge them, to confess them, to repent, to pray for forgiveness, to turn from those things and go go move forward, we're just hurting ourselves when we throw out these excuses. Right. All right, let's go to the next one. We hear this a lot. Someone says, "Well, nobody's perfect." So somebody comes to me and they 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 show me. I mean, they, they, pretty clearly, they show me that I have missed the mark. I'm just not doing right. I, and and so my comeback to them as well. Nobody's perfect. Uh, and, and it's almost the idea is, are you saying you're perfect? I, you, you know, if, no, nobody's perfect. And that's, that's a given. That's a, yeah. that's, that's a true statement. But the flaw of that argumentation is that you're, you're trying to justify yourself by comparing yourself to others. You know, nobody's perfect. And by the way, there are a whole lot of people who are more imperfect than me, and so I'm not so bad because I can point to a lot of other people who are worse than I am. Terrible, terrible. Uh, In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul said, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not a wise thing to do. I put down Romans 6, beginning of verse 1. Paul said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know, so Paul just, yeah, it's, so it's a given. Nobody's perfect, but does that mean I don't have to try? I can just continue in sin and I no. won't even try to do better. No, Paul said, you don't do that. You, once you become a Christian, you, you live right. Exactly. Kent uh, email says, uh, It is correct that no one's perfect because no one is perfect. Uh, because no one is perfect, such proves that our thinking separate from the Word of God is not an infallible guide. Uh, Colossians 3.17, 2 John 9.3.11, Jeremiah 10.23. We all need God's divine direction found in His infallible standard, the Word. So, you know, the very fact that we are imperfect really is not a, a justifying excuse, but actually tells us our need to rely on God. Good point. Uh, Jim uh, in Kentucky says, whereas this is true of man, so it is true. We are. No one's perfect. But we are given a perfect example to follow in Jesus Christ. If we follow his example, then we will not need any excuses for our actions. And he references 1 Peter 2, 
21 and 22. I think you're right, Jim. Good, good point. The, the sole exception in all the history of mankind to no one is perfect, Jesus Christ himself. And he is, he, he, so our, our, we're, we're not to compare ourselves to others. We're to compare ourselves to Christ. Set him as our example to emulate. Good point. Uh, Grant says that. He says, no one's perfect. This is correct with one exception, Jesus Christ. Everyone who has reached the age of accountability has sinned, Romans 3.23. But God has implemented a plan by which we can have our sins forgiven. We are not saying that Christians are perfect, just that through their initial obedience to the gospel and continued faithfulness, they are saved. All right, good point, Grant. Uh, and Dwight in Iowa says, no one is perfect, but that does not excuse us uh, from doing the best we can. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We may not always be perfect, but part of our keeping the commands of the Lord is repenting when we do sin. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And so I think Dwight makes a really, makes makes the point. So, when confronted with my sin, instead of using this very common excuse, nobody's perfect, what I need to do is acknowledge the sin, confess, repent, pray for forgiveness, and, and do better. You know, yeah. the, 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 the excuse-making doesn't help. The excuse-making actually makes things worse. Real, true repentance is, is what's the solution to that problem. Yeah, I mean, so there's a difference between, you know, making a mistake and correcting and trying to do better, working hard to do right, and falling into something and not trying. Yeah. You know, and so th- there's a difference there. And, and so that excuse to, well, nobody's perfect, uh, and I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing is, is the flaw. Yeah, and, and, and so, you know, probably people when, are thinking, well, maybe maybe if you confront me about gossip, mm-hmm. I say nobody's perfect. Yeah. Or you confront me uh about maybe losing my temper. Uh, well, nobody's perfect. But if it works to justify those sins, what if you come to me and I'm engaged in fornication? Well, nobody's perfect. You know, most people want to use that. They want yeah. to use these excuses for what they deem as lesser sins. Right. But, it, but they but they, they don't want to allow the excuses for worse sins. It, it, it's But it's all in their estimation, I got, because all sins are of equal status in the eyes of God. So if we're going to use the... My point, I guess, I'm getting beaten around the bush. My point is if we're going to use the excuse for our imagined lesser sins, then the guy who's doing what we imagine are worse sins, he can use that excuse too. So you go to the rapist or the murderer, and he says, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. So we're supposed to look the other way for the rapist? Because nobody's perfect. No, we no. We say, oh Everybody no, 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 no. We're not, not. going to do that. Well, if it if it works in one spot, it works in another. Right, right. Kyle, any thoughts? No, which I think it's we've said it as best as it can be stated because it's not a valid excuse. Uh, we can't use everyone else's standard as our own. So it's. Yeah. I don't know if I know. I don't know if I know how to get to this phone call or not. Here, uh, we. we uh, Jacob hasn't taught me how to plug this phone. I don't even see how to plug this phone in here. Let's see here. Uh, let me see here. So let me see if I can get to it here. Hello? Hello, are you there? Uh, no. Hello. 
Are you there? Let me try one more one more line here. Are you with us? No, we didn't get to that. Uh, I, I, I need to check in how to do that. Jacob hasn't advised me how to get to that that phone. I think I got to plug something in, but I'm not seeing where to plug it in. No, I think it is plugged in. If if the caller wants to call back, we'll try one more time to get to that phone call. I'm sorry we missed it. Uh, try, try to give us a call back, and we'll see if we can get you on the virtual phone. If it rings, Kyle, you, you answer it for me. All right. Nobody's perfect. I think we've dealt with that excuse. Again, obviously, it does not work. Uh, let's go to the next one. The next excuse often given is the Bible's too hard to understand. I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not living right, probably, but the Bible is just really too hard to understand, and and I'm never going to be able to get it, and so I'm, I'm just going to kind of give up. There's no use trying. Uh, the Bible is too hard to understand. Uh, let's, let's talk about that in a minute. We got something there, Kyle? All right. Hang on here for just a minute. Let's see. Hello, are you with us? I'm not. She can hear, she can hear us, but we can't hear her. Uh, yeah. There we are. There we are. So you can hear me now? I got you. Yeah. Okay, on this thing about um, uh, being perfect and everything, I had a uh, someone a long time ago who, and uh, he said, when somebody says that to you, you say, <laughs> I'm not perfect, but I am forgiven. Yeah. And that helps them, at, that, that's a segue into trying to teach them the gospel. That's right. And, and, you know, I think sometimes Christians are criticized because people people say, oh, well, you think you're perfect. No, we don't think we're perfect. But we have found out the answer to the problem. The answer to the problem is, is salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we're not perfect, but we know how to deal with our imperfections. And, and uh, that's what these other people need to know, too. And as you say, that, that could potentially open the door for us to be able to teach them. Right. Great. Okay, that's all I had. Thank, thank you so much. Thanks for calling. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so we we were able to master the phone call, Kyle, so thank you for that. I think I see I think I think see what I was doing wrong before, so if another call comes in, I think I can do better on that. What about this excuse? The reason I'm not living right, Josh, is because the Bible is just so miserably hard to understand I'm, I, obviously, I'm not going to make it because I can't even figure out what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, how are you going to how are you going to deal with that? Yeah, well, you know, I actually had a fellow tell me that that I was working with one time. I haven't even tried to read the Bible because you just can't understand it anyway, and, yeah. and it's almost shocking. But um, I would just go to Ephesians, uh, well, two places: Ephesians three, verses three and four, uh, where, well, I'm on the wrong page here. Uh, so Paul said, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a four and few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge and the mystery of Christ. So I think there Paul talked about you're able to read it, you're able to understand it. And in Ephesians 5 and 17, I think we're actually commanded. He said, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So God was able to give us a book uh, with content that we can understand, and we're actually commanded to understand it. Exactly. And so this accusation really is against God that 
He wasn't able to get the job done to get us some material that we can understand. I think you're exactly right. That's just an accusation against God. I think you're exactly right. You know, just think about that. If you can't understand it, then here God has failed in producing an understandable document. And then he's unjustly going to judge us on the basis of something that we're not capable of understanding. What kind of a God is he anyway? Well, that's just flawed, right? Terribly flawed. You think you're exactly right. Kent in Georgia says that statement is false, that the, that the Bible is too hard to, uh, to understand. That's a false statement. God gave us his word for the purpose of study and personal application. Because the inspired word of God is addressed to us in human language, one can understand such by applying the principles of grammar, communication, and critical thinking to this verbally inspired message from God. We also can understand the basic message of the Bible by properly dividing such and harmonizing with it with its total context, Second Timothy three fifteen through seventeen. Thank you, Kent. Uh, Jim Walsh in uh, Kentucky says the Bible is too hard to understand. That may be it. May be true. He says that there are hard parts of the Bible, but it's not impossible to understand. God gave us His Word in a way that we can read and understand. He uses the text you mentioned, Josh, Ephesians three, verses three and five. Uh, you know, I I I like the the point that Jim makes there. We're not we're not saying that all of the Bible is super easy. There are right. some difficult places in the Bible, but the very basics, the the first principles of Christ, what one must do to be saved, uh, how we should principally live our lives, that's easily understood in the Bible. Right. Some of the harder parts of the Bible may be some of the prophetic passages. Uh, you know, well, Peter Peter said that Paul, some that of Paul's writing hard to be understood. I think he was probably talking about the book of Romans. Probably. <laughs> but, but it's really, uh, I, I think usually experts say that the, the the principal parts of the Bible are written about a fifth grade reading level. It's not that hard. Uh, Grant says the Bible actually states that when we read, we can understand. He references the text you mentioned, Ephesians 3, 3 through 5. And then uh, the Bible actually instructs us to understand what the will of the Lord is. He mentions the text you read, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Uh, Dwight uh, says, 1 John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. So if we're to, if, if we're to keep his commandments and, his, and that's how we show our love for him, if we don't, can't even understand his commandments, then we would not be able to demonstrate our love for him. So, so, so perverse, isn't it? In Acts 17, 11, it says these were talking about the people of Berea. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. We have to study God's word to be taught. Romans and Paul said in Romans fourteen ten, "How shall they hear without a preacher?" All of that suggesting that the message is understandable. Again, pretty common argumentation. It doesn't work. We're going to grab a break. We're going to have to go a little faster, Josh, when we get to the other side. When we come back, we want to talk about the excuse that a lot of people are offering these days. I love God, but I don't think I have to go to church. What about people who make that kind of excuse? We'll deal with that when we get back from this break on the Virtual Bible Study. 
questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. A financial planner observed that most folks spend more time planning their summer vacation than they devote to planning their most important lifetime goals. That is, without a doubt, a sad but true fact. How can we hope to succeed in life without planning and goal setting? If you want to be a successful student or businessman or politician or whatever, it takes planning. Surely this same point can be made in regards to our spiritual service to God. In fact, it may be even more true in this particular realm. We might even say that some folks appear to spend more time planning what they will do after supper on a given night than they have ever spent charting their plans for serving God. It's a sad situation to be sure. The problem is that we've gotten our priorities out of order. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 32. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Do you see it? Jesus said that we ought not worry about the things that we most often do worry about. And he said that we should give careful consideration to our spiritual work, putting it first in our lives. Christian, are you making your plans to be faithful to God and to be active in His service? Have you spent any time lately planning about the things that are really most important? That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. We want to remind you that this Virtual Bible Study is brought to you each week by the College Youth Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by going to our website, collegeview.com. A lot of resources there that might help you. It also You'll also be able to understand a little bit more about who we are and, and what we're trying to do as a church serving our Lord. Uh, we're always open to your contacts. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com. We'd be glad to work with you and help you in any way that we can concerning studying and knowing God's truth. We're talking about excuses on the virtual Bible study tonight, and we've got a comment from Eric in the chat room. Kind of an interesting question, uh, Josh. Yes, Eric says, does this sound like an excuse? And he references Romans 7, verse 20. Uh, and it says, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. All right. So the way that's worded, and I think that's Eric's question, you know, was was Paul so trying Paul to make an excuse? Make an excuse. I, it's just it's just sin in me. I can't help myself. Right. Well, we know from other texts. First of all, we know from other texts that, like First Corinthians ten thirteen, God's not going to allow us to be tempted above our ability to resist the temptation. He'll He'll provide a way of escape. Very important text. So Paul wouldn't Paul wouldn't be contradicting himself because he's the one who wrote that in First Corinthians ten verse thirteen as well. Actually, what we got here in Romans chapter seven is Paul is showing the inadequacies of the old Mosaic law. The only way to be justified under the law of Moses was by perfect law keeping. Uh, and, and he's saying that, 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 you know, it just wasn't possible to do so. 
uh, and he, he sort of down in verse 24 of Romans 7 he sort of summarizes that thought oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death this is just it's just not possible to live perfectly under the law the next verse verse 20 I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord uh, so you know he's he's basically describing the inadequacies of the old law and expressing gratitude for the fact that this great dilemma has actually been solved in Christ Jesus. So I think that's the right way to look at it. Again, I don't think... I I think he was just sort of uh, using that terminology to express the frustration level of living under a law that didn't make provisions for ultimate forgiveness. Yeah, and actually that whole chapter, he, if you read through it, he's talking... He's, he's using that same terminology throughout the whole chapter. Yeah. yeah. Not, not excuse-making, though. All right, let's let's move on with our excuse. Got to go quick. We're gonna, this going to have to go. We're going to have to go rapid fire here, Josh. All right. Uh, I love God, but I don't think I have to go to church. How yeah. are you going to answer that person? Well, I, two different ways. I'd say in Acts twenty and verse twenty eight that Jesus it mentions that he purchased the church with his own blood. So the church meant a lot to Jesus, and I think that attitude shows that. Well, the church really isn't that important. It's just we'll follow Jesus, not so much worry about the church. Well, the church was important to Jesus because he died to purchase it, and then. He's the head of it in different places. We can read about that. And then the last thing I would say is in uh, Hebrews 10, verse 25, we're commanded to assemble and meet with the church. And yeah. So it was it was definitely important to Jesus. It was established. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, it, it wrote letters to the churches because they were important. So it's yeah. not like, don't worry about the church. That's mm-hmm. that's just flawed thinking. Yeah. Uh, if, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh Jesus loved the church, gave himself for it, verse 25, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, you know, for us to say the church is not important, that's really that's really sort of a slap in the face to Jesus. And right. Jesus, you, you, you shed your blood for nothing there yeah. uh, to purchase the church. Uh, quickly, Kent says... The worship of God is important, John four twenty three and 24. The corporate assembly of the local church and the worship of God is a divine requirement, Acts 2, verse 42, Hebrews 10, verse 25. All accountable individuals have the responsibility to qualify themselves to give scriptural worship to God by either becoming a Christian through obedience to the gospel or as a fallen Christian by repenting of personal sin and being restored to the fellowship of Christ. One cannot give proper glory to God outside the New Testament church, Ephesians 3. 20 and 21. I think that's really an important point there that Kent makes. It's the, you have to be in the church to give God the proper glory. Uh, Jim says, uh, one does not go to church, but one is placed into the church when they obey the gospel of Christ, Acts 2, verses 38 through 47. As such, we then serve him in the church. He tells us that he expects us to gather with other members of his body upon the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11, 20 through 33, and 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. All right, we're actually commanded to assemble with the saints, so how can you say it's not important? Uh, Grant says... Uh, the way you love God is by keeping his commandments, John fourteen fifteen. One of the commandments is not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. If you're forsaking the assembly, then you're not demonstrating a love for God. Uh, I think you're right, Grant. And, and, and uh, Dwight says, without going to worship with the saints, 
is not putting others first. We need to think of how to stimulate one another to love good works, not forsaking ourselves by coming together. Uh, without going to church, we cannot follow the example of remembering the death of Jesus because partaking of the Lord's Supper involves coming together on the first day of every week. I think all those are right. Quickly, next excuse. Uh, I always thought sincerity would be enough. So someone comes to me, Josh, and, they, and they're saying, they're saying to me, you're not doing the right thing. What you're doing, here, here, here's what the Bible says, and here's what you're doing, and they don't match up. You're not following the Bible. Well, but I, I'm sincere in what I do, and I always just imagined that sincerity would be enough. Yeah, yeah well, being sincere is great. But, you know, I, so I uh, actually choose an Old Testament reference, Joshua 24 and verse 14. Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And then verse 15, if it seem evil to you this day, uh, it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Uh, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I think it's interesting. Sincerity is important, but he says you need to serve the Lord with sincerity and in truth. And so there's more, more components than just sincerity. So I yeah. can be sincerely wrong. Uh, somebody mentioned earlier about the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul and he was persecuting yeah. the church. Oh, yeah. I think it's Acts 23, verse 1. He talked about he has lived in good conscience before God until this day. Mm-hmm. He sincerely thought he was doing right, but he was sincerely wrong. But I think Saul or Paul is the perfect example there. Sincerity doesn't get the job done. Kent says, sincerity is essential in following Christ. However, sincerity alone is not enough. He references Matthew seven twenty one and 23 with some uh, apparently sincere people who would argue with the Lord on the judgment day, but they yeah. weren't doing the right thing. They, they were workers of lawlessness uh, in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. He says obedience to Christ is the key to following truth, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Uh, uh, let's see. Jim says, we are not judged by our feelings or by being sincere, but by the word of Christ. John 12, 48 and 50. The apostle Paul said he lived in good conscience before God, even when he was doing that which was contrary to God's word. Acts 23, 1, 24, 16. Therefore, the fact that one believes they are sincere is no guarantee that they are in truth. Exactly right. Uh, Grant says, when reading the account of Cornelius in Acts 10, you must conclude that he was a sincere man. He is described as a devout man. One feared God with all his household, gave many alms to the Jewish people, prayed to God continually. But as we continue to read the conversion of Cornelius, we see that Peter uh, was sent to Cornelius such that Peter would speak words to Cornelius so that he could be saved. We see clearly in this example, being sincere is not enough. Uh, and Dwight again references Paul saying that all he did, he did in a good conscience. Sincerity is a feeling we can't, cannot always trust. Uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve. there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. All those are great comments to, to that very common excuse or argument. Let's take one more real quickly, Josh. I just trust what my preacher says. Yeah. Well, uh, so you want to get to a point where you can't trust what your preacher says. You want to, you know, believe that they're going to try to tell you the truth at all times. But a preacher is a man who can make mistakes. Uh, and so I think somebody referenced this verse as well. But we should be like the noble Bereans in Acts 17 and verse 11, because it says that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So they didn't just take it all in without questioning anything and just. You know, just hook, line, and sinker. They, they so they were it. called noble mm-hmm. for even 
checking up on the Apostle right. Paul. Yeah. Now think about that. That's the inspired, the Holy Spirit inspired word. So the Holy Spirit says these people are commendable because they wouldn't even take the inspired apostles, right. Apostle Paul's word for it without checking up on it. Yeah. Uh, so where does that, t- what does that tell us? We for sure need to be checking up yeah. on, on men today that are exactly preaching. right. Uh, Kent says, such is a terrible mistake to just take what your preacher says. Some preachers are honestly mistaken, being misled by others. Matthew 15, beginning verse 13. Just because one's preacher is sincerely misled does not change the consequences of sin. When one either teaches or believes false doctrine, such does not change the outcome where the correct, when the correction is not made. Even Satan has his own preachers, 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. I think you're right, Kent. Uh, Jim says, men can make mistakes. The word of your preacher will not save you in the end, but you will be judged for your own actions. Uh, your actions and your life must give an account to the Lord for, for that. You must obey God's word to do that. Romans 14, 12, 2 Timothy 2, 15, 1 Peter 3, 15. Exactly right. Jim, uh, uh, Grant says, we are not going to be judged based upon what our preacher says. A man is not our standard of authority. John twelve forty eight says we'll be judged by the word of God. Second Timothy two fifteen, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, r- rightly or accurately handling the word of truth. And Dwight says the Brians searched the scriptures for themselves to make sure that what was being taught was true. Uh uh, John, uh, Jesus said in John 8 verse 31 and 32 he said to those who believed in him if you abide in my word you are my disciples indeed you shall know the truth the truth shall make you free looking to the word is what is right not just taking a preacher's word for it because a preacher can be mistaken alright we've got some ground to cover we're going to go to the top of the hour talking about these very common flawed uh inadequate excuses stay with us we're going to go to the top of the hour right after these messages are you listening there's going to be a test on this stuff stay tuned the virtual bible study will be right back after this hi i'm wade shelton in first peter 3:15, the scripture says but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear you see we believe here at college view that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the virtual Bible study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the virtual Bible study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In a survey about gossip, researchers found that females gossiped significantly more than males. They found that younger people tended to gossip more negatively than older people. They also found poorer, less educated people do not engage in gossip more than the wealthy people. They estimated that the average person spends 52 minutes per day gossiping. That information is via Psychology Today. Proverbs 10 verse 18 says, He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that othereth a slander is a fool. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13 verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. 
And we're back on the virtual Bible study. We're talking about excuses that don't work. No excuses work, really. By definition, Josh, an excuse does not work to justify a person. So, I mean, just when you mention the word excuse, you automatically know that it's not going to work. Here's one that I've run into trying to encourage people to obey the gospel, especially. Uh, I just don't want to offend anyone, especially my family. So I understand what you're telling me. I understand what you think I should do to make my life right with God. But if I do that, I'm afraid that I'll alienate some other people in my life and most importantly i i fear that i might even alienate some of my family members and i i I just don't i just don't want to do that and so the reason i'm not my reason excuse for not doing what i should do is i don't want to offend others yeah well i you know i understand that on a on a personal level my own some of my own family situations but are you going to let some family member or ties keep you from being right with God. That's yeah. that's just foolish yeah. thinking. And so I thought about Matthew 10, beginning verse 34. Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And, and so there's going to be some that choose to follow the Lord and, and live right. And there's going to be others in the same family that choose not to. And they're going to be enemies. Uh, you know, if you will. and But Jesus' whole example was, uh, verse 38 of that same chapter, he says, He that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. Yep. So are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow to follow him? If not, you're not worthy of him. But if you are, it, you may have, uh, there may be issues with, with family or friends, and you, there may be ties cut there. I, I've even known of people who would make this argument again. Uh, because of dead family members, you know, yeah. if 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 I if I accept this truth and if I do what you're saying I need to do to be right with God, my dear mm-hmm. old mother, mm-hmm. she never did those things. And so if I agreed that this is what I need to do and I did it, then I'd actually be condemning my mother who never did do those things. And she's dead and gone yeah. now. And I just don't want to do that. But you, you know, the answer to that, I think, is. If your mother could speak to you today, she would say, do the right thing. Yeah. If, if she's lost, she wouldn't want you to be lost with right. her. Uh, and so, you know, your, your mother, speaking from the grave, would say, absolutely yeah. do what the Word of God says. Right. Don't worry about me in any sense. Do what's right. Yeah, don't just do wrong because somebody you, you love has, has done wrong. Yeah. Uh, Kent says, this is a commendable desire not to offend anyone. Mm-hmm. Certainly the way we approach individuals is important. We ought never to seek to use offensive approach in attempting to study with anyone. However, some individuals are not truth seekers. Even when we attempt to be kind with them and attempting to properly communicate the word of God to them, if the truth offends them and they reject such, we are not authorized by the scriptures to compromise God's truth. If truth, when presented in the right way, offends people, we must remember that they are beyond help. Galatians 1, 10 and 11. Galatians 4, verse 6. That's a really good take on that, Kent. Uh, uh, Jim says, if God's word offends anyone, then it is not the problem of the speaker, but of the hearer. God's word edifies those seeking the truth. Uh, God's word edifies those seeking the truth and destroys those who seek to do evil. If one is offended, it is not because they are seeking the truth. Our love for God and his word must be greater than even the love we have for our parents. Matthew 10 verses 35 and 36. I think you're right, Jim. 
Grant says we must recognize that when Christians shine their light in the world, that those in darkness sometimes will be offended. This will include friends, relatives, co-workers, and so forth. Uh, in John 3, beginning verse 19, Jesus said, This is the judgment, that light is coming to the world. Men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I think really good take on that, uh, uh, Grant. And Dwight says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, verse 37. We have to be willing to follow the Lord even if it goes against family and friends. This may hurt their feelings, but it's better that, that going, uh, that it's better than going against the Lord and burning for all eternity. Peter said we must obey God rather than men. I think that's right, Dwight, exactly right. Quickly, my excuse, Josh, is there's no you I'm not I'm just gonna give up trying because I can't live good enough. Yeah. Ever talk to somebody who said that? Yeah, yeah. I'm not I am not even gonna try. I can't do it. I can't live a good enough life. Well, and sort of like sort of like nobody's perfect. Well that's true. You never could live and do enough good things to warrant you and have you earn to make it to heaven but you know as you think about that i thought about second peter 3 verse 9 where it says that the lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering to us we're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance so now you you can't live perfectly and good enough but god wants you to be saved and he's made the way possible if you'll come to repentance and i, yeah. I just think that's that that's what it's all about obviously yeah, yeah exactly right uh it is true you can't live a good enough life, but but the, the flaw of that thinking is that that suggests that you think somebody could earn their salvation. Nobody yeah. can live good enough to earn their salvation, and so uh, we we uh, do the best we can. Uh, we're all going to be dependent upon the grace and mercy of God, but we have to do what we can. We have to do the best that we can. We can't use that excuse. Uh, Kent says, God never requires any action on our part that one finds impossible to accomplish accomplish, because God requires obedience to the gospel to become a Christian and faithfulness on our part to live as a Christian. One can live a life that is acceptable to God. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, Revelation 2, uh, 8 through 10. Uh, Jim says, uh, no man can be justified in his own actions. We depend upon the grace of God and the redemptive power of the blood of Christ to save us, not our own actions. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 how, uh, uh, says that, that we depend upon God's grace and, and the saving power of Christ's blood. However, we are to strive to do what the Lord commands and let him decide if we have done enough. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Grant says you can live good enough, but it will take effort. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. James 4, verse 11. God will not allow you to be attempted, but if you're able, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, and when at times we do sin, God has provided a way for our sins to be forgiven, even after we've obeyed the gospel, 1 John 1, verse 9. So I think that's right. I mean, uh, I think we're going to, we're going to, we're not going to be perfect. We already said that. Nobody's perfect. But but we're going to do the best we can. And God's made a, a solution to the problem when we are not what we ought to be. All right. Quick. Oh, uh, Grant says, Jesus invites, come unto all me, ye that labor and are heavy laden. Matthew 11, verse 28. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, 2, 
be followers, uh, excuse me, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. It can be done. We're instructed to do it. We're all but out of time. Number 10, there are too many hypocrites in the church. Josh, we really covered this one a we couple did. weeks ago. Uh, you know, and so I'm, I, I, we're going to kind of skip over that one. That is a all too common excuse. People that hypocrites in the church keep them from God. So they're going to punish they think they're going to punish God because of some hypocrite in the church. Of course there's hypocrites in the church. But you're going to, you're going to deny God yeah. Yeah. because of the hypocrite? Well, how's that helping you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. We, but we covered that one pretty thoroughly a couple of weeks ago, so we'll let that one ride. There's always a lot to say about that. But finally, we're going to catch this last one. My excuse, Josh, is there's lots of time left. There's plenty of time. I know, I know. I'm not living right right now. And you're right when you tell me what I need to be doing. I'm not arguing with you at all about that. And I'm not trying to say that I'm doing anything. I'm not. I know I'm not doing. I'm going to get around to it. I I really intend to do right. But I got some time left. I, I'll get around to that later. Yeah. Well, the rich man in Luke chapter 12 uh, was thinking about all the goods that he had, pulling down barns and building greater. And then verse 20, God said to him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So that fellow thought he had plenty of time left. He was worried about the things of the world and worried about his his material, physical possessions. But then time ran out, and then it's too late. Yeah. And so it just fought thinking to think that, oh, there's plenty of time. We, we don't know how much time yeah. we have left. Yeah, exactly right. Kent says no one knows how much time we have left, and he references Jesus' statement, Matthew 24, 36 through 39. Uh Jim says, "No, we do not. Know, we do not know how much time we have left." Matthew twenty five thirteen, Luke twelve sixteen through twenty one. Uh, Grant says, "We do not know when the Lord's coming back. He will come like a thief in the night." First Thessalonians five verse two, and uh, Dwight in Iowa says. Life is a vapor, here for a moment, then gone. No one knows the time in which the Lord will send his son back to judge the world. So, again, a lot of people, I think a whole lot of people are are making that mistake and saying, well, for now, I'm just going to postpone. I'm going to procrastinate. I'm going to put it off. Very bad thinking. Scary place to be. Scary place to be. We're out of time. I think I, I don't think we've plowed any new ground here tonight, Josh. But we've we've talked about some things that are just all too common in people's thinking, and and back to our initial point about excuses. Excuses, by definition, will not justify us with God. Stop making excuses. Acknowledge your sin. Do the right thing. Obey the obey the instructions of God's word. That's really the only answer. Yeah, agreed. Right. Kyle, any final thoughts? No, I think it's we have to be careful making making excuses, but we make sure we're owning our mistakes and trying to better ourselves. But yeah, I want to. I want ultimately, Kyle. What I want, I want to be better at obedience than I am at excuse making. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and too often we get it just the other way. We're not too good about obedience, but we sure can make great excuses. Right. We need to. We need to flip. Right. Flip that over. Put all the effort into obeying rather than making excuses while you're not. Exactly right. All right. We've had a great study. Appreciate those of you who participated uh, by email and comments. Uh, We look forward to you being with us next week, Lord willing, for another edition of the virtual Bible study. Until then, remember to read and study your Bible, live by it every day, 
and you'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.